God, we pray today that uh, the words of truth in your word would speak to our hearts. God, that you would open our eyes to see you in a new way and to see faith as something that endures to the end. And God, I pray that you would help us today as we look at what it means to finish well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis 47. Have you ever thought that it was too late? Maybe you faced a fractured relationship with a spouse, with a parent, with a child, or with a friend, where you began to believe that there was no hope of restoration. Or maybe you faced a personal failure in your life with your goals, with your business, with your dreams, in which you wondered, was it too late? Or maybe you feel like you failed God by the way that you've lived your life. You feel like you've not done enough for him and missed many opportunities that he had given you to serve him. Have you ever thought that it was too late? This morning, as we continue to look at the story of Genesis, we will see that it is never too late as long as there remains breath in our lungs. As we've been walking through the book of Genesis the last couple of months, we've been walking through a series called When God Writes Your Story. And the focus of our story the last couple of weeks has been on the life of Joseph. And today we're going to shift directions a little bit and shift back to Jacob as the story continues. If you remember Jacob's story, it began as a story of a jealous twin. He was second born to Esau, but not for lack of trying, since he grabbed Esau's heel when they were being born and tried to pull him back into the womb as a way of saying, me first. These words, me first, became the driving force of Jacob's early life. In an attempt to be first, he stole both the birthright and the blessing from his brother Esau. You can imagine the stealing of these things and the fracture of a relationship there, which may cause, Joseph, may cause Jacob to get to a point of wondering, is there still hope? As, after this great brotherly tension, Jacob moved to his, his uncle Laban's house under the encouragement of his mother, Rebekah. And while there, Jacob had his first encounter with God. In this encounter with God, God renewed his promises to him, the promises that he'd given to his grandfather, Abraham, that God would bless him and bless his family and that he could, in one way, bless the world. While at Laban's house, Jacob fell in love. He fell in love with a girl named Rachel, but in a tricky kind of way, Laban ended up giving him Leah in marriage instead of Rachel. In that moment, laying next to Leah, realizing he'd been duped, maybe Jacob was asking the question, was it too late? But the reality is it wasn't too late. God gave him another wife, Rachel, seven years later after seven more years of work. This led to relational tension between Jacob and Laban where Jacob would go back to visit his brother Esau. And on the eve, as he waited to meet his brother in an awkward family moment, Jacob meets with God. He wrestles with God, and his name is changed forever to Israel. Jacob was a man who had moments where he wondered if it was too late. This morning, as we look at God's word, we're going to see that it's never too late as long as we have breath in our lungs. And in this text, we find Jacob in a very frail state. He's nearing the end of his life, yet we'll see that he is faithfully holding on to his faith in God. And that's what sustained him through his journey. And that's what sustains him near the end. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word, Genesis 47, 
starting in verse 28. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 16 years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And he answered, I will do as you have said. Verse 31, And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Let's pray. God, take these words and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight today, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may grab a seat. So in the end of Joseph's life, Jacob's life, in the end of these moments when Jacob encounters Joseph and experiences this passing on of blessing, we're going to see four principles of a faith that finishes well. A faith that finishes well. First, a faith that finishes well, if you're taking notes, clings to God's promise of future grace. A faith that finishes well clings to God's promise of future grace. Jacob finds himself in a place he did not want to be. His family has moved from the land of promise and the land of blessing into a foreign land with foreign gods and foreign rulers. And the famine and Joseph and everything has driven them to this place. And as Jacob looks back upon his life, he remembers the promises of God. That God promised his family that he would be with them. That he would put them in this land of blessing, in this land of promise. And as he pulls Joseph in as his favorite son in this moment of confession, in this moment of giving a wish and a last wish to his son, as he pulls him in, he says, I want to be buried in that land. This is a picture of him believing in the promise of future grace. Despite the fact that the situation did not seem like they would ever make it back to the land of promise. Despite the troubles they may be in, God is going to go through and God is going to be faithful to his promise. And Jacob believed that. He stood in faith and believed that. We see in verse 29 this idea of Joseph putting his hand under Jacob's thigh as a cultural mark of the seriousness of this promise. Jacob knew that God, the God who had been faithful to fulfill his promise of blessing to his ancestors would be the God who would be faithful to fulfill his blessing to his descendants. Jacob held on to the promises of God by faith despite the fact that the working out of those promises might be hard to see. A faith that finishes well clings to the promises of future grace. Which leads to our first application question for us. What is the promise that God is calling you to remember? What is the promise that God is calling you to remember? You may be in a moment similar to Jacob, where your life and your story ended up in a direction and in a place where you would have not chosen. Yet we have a God who is faithful, a God who is faithful in the good times, a God who is faithful in the bad times, and a God who maintains his character. So what he says and who he is remains the same. A faith that finishes well clings to God's promise of future grace. Second, a faith that finishes well passes God's blessing on to the next generation. Passes God's blessing on to the next generation. Verse, chapter 48, verse 1. 
After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. What we see here is a scene very similar to the scene that we saw between Jacob and his father Isaac. But in Jacob and Isaac's scene, Jacob is being the trickster. Jacob comes in and tries to steal and actually steals his brother Esau's blessing. And so in these moments, we don't see Joseph coming to steal a blessing. We see Joseph coming in to receive the blessing from his father. And as he heard word that his father was aging and was getting near the end, he brings his sons to him. Verse 3. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and I will multiply you and I will make you a company of peoples and I'll give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours, and they shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her on the way to Ephrath, that is, in Bethlehem. Jacob begins his conversation with his son, his beloved son, and his grandkids, By discussing what God had done in his life, he recounts to them the story of God's faithfulness in his own life. When we look at God's word, we see constant stories of a God who is faithful to his people in the good times, in the bad times, in the tough times. And the reality is, in each one of our lives, we have a story of God's word. We have a story of moments where we felt really close to God, and then we have moments we felt like our prayers hit the ceiling. Yet God remained faithful. And are we sharing those stories with the next generation? Are we passing the blessing of the faith that we have received and the faith that we have seen and the God that we have seen as a God who is real, a God who is true, and a God whose work in the world didn't end at the end of the writing of Revelation? Are we passing that on to the next generation? Are we sharing that with our kids' parents and grandparents? And for those of us maybe like me who don't have any kids at this point, How are we passing that on to people in our church? How are we sharing with the next generation what God has done with our students in our church, with our children in our church, students in this this room? How are you sharing the story of what God has done in your life to those who come behind you? God is a God who's at work, and we can have great hope and cling to faith by seeing God's work in other people's lives. So Jacob begins by remembering God's faithfulness to him. And then we see this interesting exchange that happens. Um, Culturally, Jacob is supposed to bless his firstborn son. And how the blessing works is the blessing, the firstborn son would get double the inheritance. And so what we have is we have a problem here with Jacob. First, Jacob has two wives. He has Leah and he has Rachel. So therefore, technically, he has two firstborn sons, Reuben and Joseph. And so since Rachel is the favorite wife and Reuben has made some questionable character decisions, which we've seen previously in the book, Jacob chooses to bless Joseph with the firstborn blessing. Yet instead of blessing Joseph, 
Jacob chooses to bless his son. It's Ephraim and Manasseh. So what we're doing is we're taking the double inheritance that would be due to Joseph and giving it not to Joseph but to his sons Ephraim and Manasseh. So they get one portion of his inheritance. But in order to get this inheritance, Jacob adopts them as his own son. So we see this adoption in this text. Uh, Verse 5, in the second part of verse 5, Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. This picture of adoption to pass on the blessing to the next generation. Verse 8, the story continues. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. Jacob here is rejoicing over the fact that he gets to see his grandkids. The reality is, as the story of Genesis is unfolded, when Joseph disappeared, Jacob was told that he was dead. His son, who was dead, who he thought he would never see again, he's getting to see his grandkids. And so he's rejoicing in this moment, and yet he's also going to pass the blessing of God on to the next generation. In Hebrews 11, we see a text that's commonly referred to as the Hall of Faith. And in the Hall of Faith, the thing that Jacob is known for is this moment here. Hebrews 11.21 says this, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing his head in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob here is trusting God. He's trusting God's sovereignty and God's plan through the blessing of future generations in a way that doesn't culturally make sense. It doesn't culturally make sense for them to bless the grandkids instead of the kid but God is working through this plan and his sovereign plan and Joseph and Jacob is following along with the plan as well as Joseph is as well application so how are you using your story of faith to bless the next generation how are you using your story of faith to bless the next generation chances are you may have an inheritance to pass on to your kids but the most important thing you pass on to your kids is not your money your house or your last name it's that faith that you have in God the faith that God has brought to you and is continuing to work in out in your life are you sharing your story of faith with the next generation because that's the most important thing we can pass on which leads to the third reason uh, third principle of a faith that finishes well a faith that finishes well clings to God's promise of future grace It passes God's blessings on to the next generation. And next, it acknowledges that God uses who he pleases regardless of societal expectations. It acknowledges that God uses who he pleases regardless of societal expectations. Verse 14, the story continues. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh. Crossing the hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. 
the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, and the angel who has redeemed me from all of my evil, bless these boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and let the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's hand. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people. He also, he shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will, will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Though the cultural expectation was for the older brother to be blessed over the younger brother, Jacob chooses to bless the younger over the older. This is a theme we've seen throughout the book of Genesis. We saw Abel blessed above Cain. We saw Isaac blessed above Ishmael. We saw Jacob blessed over Esau. And early in this passage, we saw Joseph being blessed over Reuben and now Ephraim over Manasseh. Our God is not confined to people's expectations of him. Our cultural expectations, our expectations for God to work in a certain way and do things in a certain way, God is not confined to those expectations. God blesses who he chooses, he uses who he wants, and oftentimes the people of God chooses to use are the least likely people who through his power become trophies of God's grace. God wants to use each one of us as a part of his plan. God wants to use each one of us to make his name and his fame great in the world. And guess what this text reminds us? That our excuses fall short. But I'm not good enough. But I'm not smart enough. But I'm not religious enough. But I'm not enough. The reality is God can use you. And our application question here is, are you letting God use you? Are you letting God use you? God uses unlikely people from unlikely places and takes us as broken, messed up people, puts us back together as trophies of his grace. So when people look at you and when people look at me, they go, but for Jesus, where would he be? Where would she be? Are you letting God use you? Please to the last principle of a faith that finishes well a faith that finishes well hopes for a new day hopes for a new day verse 21 chapter 48 then israel said to joseph behold i am about to die but god will be with you and shall bring you again into the land of your fathers moreover i have given you given it to you rather than your brothers one mountain slope that i took from the hand of the amorites with my sword and with my bow This passage ends with a picture once again of hope. Jacob believes that there's a day coming when his descendants will once again dwell in the promised land of God's blessing. Jacob stands in the end in a situation where he didn't want to be, in a moment where he would have never expected, in a story that he wouldn't have written that way. But yet he clings on to hope that God is bringing in a new day. Last application question, are you waiting for God's new day with hope? Are you waiting for God's new day with hope? In his final moments, Jacob was a man with great faith. 
He knew that God was faithful. He knew the great role that he had in passing these blessings of faith on to the next generation. And he knew that God would one day bring in a new day that he promised. This morning, the reminder to us is no matter where we are in our journey, at the beginning, at the middle, or nearing the end of life's journey, that we have a God who's faithful to his promises. He has a plan for using us for passing faith and truth down to the next generation. And one day, God will bring us into his brand new day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are a God who is with us in the good moments. God, he's with us in the bad moments. And you're a God who leads and guides us on a path that you set before us. God, today, for those of us who need a reminder that you're faithful, God, today, that they would cling to your promises. God, that we would be reminded that you are God who's with us and for us, not against us. God, for those of us who have missed and are continuing to miss opportunities to share our story and to pass our faith on to future generations, God, help us to do that. And God, for those of us who may feel like we're sitting in darkness waiting for the light to come, God, give us hope, give us an encouragement, God, that you are the God of bringing in a new day and bringing us hope and bringing us grace. And one day you'll split the sky and come back and take us home. God, be with us now, God, as we respond to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe today you realize that you've never placed your faith in Christ. My encouragement to you today would be to come today and to learn more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Or maybe today you're like the centurion in the Gospels who said of Jesus, I believe, but God help my unbelief. God, today for those of us in this room who are struggling to grasp at faith in the dark. God, we believe, help our unbelief. Maybe today you realize that you need to join a church, that you have, don't have a f- group of Christians around you to help you follow after Jesus. Today, if that's you, come forward. We'd love to talk to you about how to do that. God, move by your spirit and your power in this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You can stand.